Did you know the key factor to success in life and business is to become an expert at an intelligent conversation? What kind of conversation are you having in your personal and professional relationships? Do you have the ability to recognize and understand emotions in yourself and others? and know how to use this awareness to manage your behavior and relationships? Stay tuned for more details with our amazing guest, Dr. Don Booz, the author of The Emotional Intelligence Primer for Today's Leaders, How to Be the Difference That Makes the Difference. We'll be right back. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the Your Life Now Show, where your life and your business matter. Your host is a certified executive coach and trainer with the passion to help make the difference in the world. Your Life Now Show brings you powerful resources and effective tips to help you manage your life and your business at its best. And now, here's your host, Coach Rhea. Hello, my friends, and welcome. You are listening to Your Life Now Show. I am your host and executive producer, Rhea Wolke, also known as Coach Rhea. Welcome to the show. So we are moving forward, moving in a great way in 2017, and we'll continue to position ourselves and our business for success. I hope things are working out for you. You're making it work in every way. To be successful and to continue positioning yourself and your business for success required a clear mind, required being focused, understanding what's going on, learning that obstacles do exist, and also practice taking action, understand your obstacles, and continue to take action. We are so excited here on the Your Life Now show. We are celebrating six years on the air, believe it or not. We are going stronger than ever, and I thank you all for your support, for being there, for listening, for sharing the show, for making a difference in my life and in the life of others as well. Your smile always brighten the world, so remember that. Just again, quick intro. I am the founder and the CEO of Your Life Now. It's a professional executive coaching, training, and marketing, and PR company. And on this show, we try to cover a lot of different topics related to our everyday life on the personal as well as the professional level. I would also like to thank every guest and every co-host who helped us with our intention of this show. Our intention, again, of having a show and hosting the show is to inspire change and transformation. I'd like to inspire you to make some positive changes that can help you position yourself and your business for success. Today, I'm excited to bring to you an amazing guest who's here to help us understand what is conversational intelligence and how is it different from emotional intelligence or what is emotional intelligence. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll bring on our amazing guest, Dr. Don Booth. We'll be right back. Please stay tuned. Thank you so much for being here. Your Life Now Radio Show with Coach Rhea will return in just a few moments.
Welcome back, my friends. You are listening to Your Life Now show. I am your host and the executive producer, Rhea Wolke, also known as Coach Rhea. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. So today we have a great show for you guys. We're going to learn a lot from our guest, Dr. Don Booth. Let me ask you this question. Do you have the ability to recognize and understand emotions in yourself and others and to use this awareness to manage your behavior and relationships? Dr. Booth is here to help us understand all this. Dr. Booth is the founder of Booth and Associate Inc., an executive and organizational development firm. He has been educated as a marriage and family therapist, an executive coach, conversational intelligence coach, and master practitioner in NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. He's also known as Conversational Anthropologist. He is the author of the Emotional Intelligent Primer for Today's Leader. How to be the difference that makes the difference. Please help me welcome our guest, Dr. Don Booth. Thank you so much for being here, Don. Welcome, my friend. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks a lot. Well, you know, it's uh, so I have to watch everything I say now <laughs> because I'm speaking to the expert in conversation. So, you know what? I am so excited about today's show because you also know I am uh, also a practitioner of NLP, but I'm not a master practitioner, but I've been fascinated with NLP in corporate sales and training I used to do, and we used to apply NLP all the time to our practice, you know, how we get our, we negotiate deals and how we get our customers and potential clients to say yes to us. And But right. there is a lot more into the conversation than just, you know, um, of course, being deliberate, choosing the right word, or understanding exactly why you actually saying what you're saying. So why don't we rewind a little bit? Is there anything that you like to add? to get for people to know who is Don Booth or Dr. Don Booth. And if I don't pronounce your last name correctly, you know, I'm half French too. So, <laughs> so I, I, try to, I try to be really careful because name is always difficult. I hope I'm pronouncing it right, correct? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I, I pronounce it uh, right every day. I never forget Booth, as I like to say. <laughs> I like to say. Um, uh, actually, the, the story of booze came from uh, E.G. E. Booze Old Cabin Whiskey in 1840. Okay. Uh, it was the first commercial uh, liquor in the United States. So, I was getting drunk to say your name. You know that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But one, one little known, unknown fact about me that most people don't know, I'm also a, fra- a trained French chef. I spent nice. a little bit of time in Paris in a bistro, and um, I love to cook. I'm, uh, I'm my wife's executive chef every week, every day, so that, that's Your one of my passions. I am the executive I, chef for her. Oh, <laughs> how how lucky she is. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So uh, that's some of my passion oh. to cook food and, and to drink good wine and, and good booze. Uh, and that keeps me going. So I need to come and hang out with you guys the next time I go to yeah, Missouri. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> I would love that because that's that's exactly my vocabulary: great food and great wine. And you know, it's always a great combination. 
So, Don, you have a great, you know, very, very impressive um, background in, in education and what you do. Um, can you tell us a little bit? I'm always curious, I guess, to share it with our, you know, with our listeners. You know, how did you get where you are right now? What inspired you to want to become, you know, the master practitioner of NLP, to become the emotional intelligent, you know, uh, expert and to become the conversational intelligent expert and to be doing what you're doing? What was the inspiration behind all that? You know, I've never been asked that question. That's very interesting. Um, Good. <laughs> um, that's a great question. I, um, I I think I'd have to go back to the modeling I had growing up with my grandmother. Um, she was a strong Christian woman, and uh, she would do everything she could to be more self-actualized and to help take care of people. And that sort of stuck with me, I think, uh, throughout my whole life. I've always tried to be self-actualized myself, trying to learn more things, how to do things better, how to be my best possible self. Um, that's why I majored in psychology, I think, but, um, and was a therapist for a period of time. So it's, um, it's always, for me, it's, it's trying to help this world be a better place and help people have more skills to live in it. So does it make sense also? I mean, I guess I'm, I'm thinking like a lot of time, you know, I, I know when I look at myself, you know, how I got to be learning what some of the things that I've learned and why I've learned it. I think, you know, I'm sure you also, you know, did it for yourself as well, right? I mean, we want the world to be better, but it starts with us. You know, if we're not better, how can we expect the world to be better? (laughs) That's correct. It's very, yes. I had to start with myself and get rid of some of those uh, things that I was carrying around that were not helpful and rather damaging. And uh, I think NLP did a great job with that with me to uh, learn different uh, techniques and patterns that I could sort of erase uh, from my uh, barrel of memories that I carried with me or at least reframe them into a different way. Um, So, yeah, it's been a credit pilgrimage. So from your, from your experience, I mean, you have your doctorate in psychology or what's, what's your doctorate? Actually, uh, my doctorate is in, in preaching. And communication. Oh, so interesting! I, uh, How awesome! Yeah, mm. I uh, my thesis was uh, uh, Julia Lord, who was my psychology professor, said to me, "Now, before you go off to seminary, I want you to uh, study uh, family therapy, which I did when I got to Chicago, and also because she saw she saw the dichotomy and struggle within me, whether it be a therapist or a minister." And she says, I want to introduce you uh, to uh, Carl Jung. Um, mm. And I became so enthralled by Carl Jung's writings. In fact, my right. graduation present from one of my friends was his completed works. And um, so when I was in Chicago, I took uh, classes to be a family therapist and, um, and also to have an MSW. So I did a lot of things, but... My real degree, my doctorate's in communications, and my dissertation was called Embracing the Shadow, a Hidden Resource for Human Communication. Wow, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Wow. It's been a really so, interesting path. Continue, please. I think I'm done. Go ahead. 
Okay. <laughs> no, because that's fascinating because, you know, of course, I've read, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very fascinated. That's how I got involved in NLP to begin with. And I think mostly, I mean, you know, um, you, of course, you've noticed that I have a little accent and I'm proud that I have an accent because I don't try to hide it. But but it's always been to me like, you know, the language, right? I mean, I, I, I when I grew up, I've learned so many languages, right? It's like language, it's a way to communicate, right? So it, it, it's our door into a lot of things, you know? So um, for me, it was a really struggle in the beginning. It's like, I need to understand this. I need to learn this. And I need to know why I'm saying this. So, it's, I mean, I still learn and I'm still, you know, improving. I guess uh, evolving every single day. Uh, by understanding the language that we use, even like, you know, I speak it now, like in my mind, I play it in my head sometime before I say it. Like I'm almost, as I'm talking with you right now, I'm like, you know, this show has never been scripted for me. I mean, we have an outline, obviously, we know what we're going to be talking about, but I never script a show because for me, it has to come, you know, um, naturally. It has to evolve as we speaking and then have to be related to what we're talking but I find it, and I want to ask your opinion about that. How does that, like, you know, work with, with, with many people? Because for me, like, I always witness myself, like, I almost like, you know, I'm, I'm listening to myself through someone else. Does that make any sense? Like, I hear the word that I'm saying it, like, as I'm saying it, so it's, it makes me, like, sometimes I pause. I almost feel like I need to pick a better word, per se. Do you think that's because I, I've learned NLP or, or, or what makes that? actually more conscious, you know. Well, where we met was in the self-talk with uh, Shad right. Helmstetter. Uh, right. And some of that, for me, I, I can only speak for myself, is the self-talk that goes through my head. Um, right. I teach, I teach my clients uh, an emotional intelligence filter, which um, does it need to be said, does it need to be said by me, and does it need to be said by me now? And ah. That filter has saved a lot of embarrassing uh, moments for my clients. And they're teaching it to their children and to their husbands and uh, wives. But um, the it, you know, does it need to be said? So said, the it part could be emails. Do I need to send this email? Do I need to tweet this, text it, you know, uh, or even the task? It's a good time management right. filter. Do I need to do this? Do I need to do it? by me and doesn't need to be done by me now. I thought of sending our president this uh, EI filter, but I decided not to. It doesn't need to be tweeted. would be helpful. But uh, it is a good filter that keeps us, uh, I think, well uh, grounded in where we are and where we want to go. That is so true. You know, I always think, I mean, and I, I, I found, like I, I mentioned to you off the air about, you know, the post that I found about, you know, a word called abracadabra. And I knew yeah. this word as, as a little, you know, young girl, but I really didn't know the origin of it. Like we used to think of it like as a magical word. You like, you say the word and whatever you say, it comes, it's, you know, you command it, it almost comes to reality, right? And it's like, right. you know, for me, a lot of us, you know, which is true. I always say, like, and that's how I started my post. I mean, many say that we are what we think, which is absolutely 100% true. But many people don't realize we also, we are what we say, what we speak, you know. So the word that we choose, the word we choose to express 
what we want people to get out of it or whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish by saying that, most of the time I find it to be is unconscious for most people. That's the same way with thoughts, right? So we understand most people, you know, they don't really think about what they think it, right? They just like, you know, thoughts come to us and every single day right. we think new thoughts and we add to the thoughts that we had before. Yet the gatekeeper, which we know Dr. Shad Humpstead is one of the, the best to explain that, you know, the conscious, right? If the conscious, which is the gatekeeper, if the conscious is not really doing its job, it's filtering everything, all the garbage, the good and not so good. So we become, you know, the thoughts becomes, you know, more, the more you, you, you focus on those thoughts, the more they become, you know, what you, what you thought. And that's why, you know, changing a little bit, being more conscious in your thinking, you know, it will drive different results. But I think it's really important these days to understand the power of our words, the power of what we say, the power to get results done through the conversation, through the, you know, and that's your expertise. So explain, you know, do you agree? I mean, does that make sense? And not, you that know, do you find, mm-hmm. Going right down the conversational intelligence um, uh, toolkit that we use, it's some, there's some estimates that we speak about 16,000 words each day. Um, the research that Judith Glasser, who was the author and, um, First, behind conversational intelligence, which continues to grow in our country and in the world. Her research says that nine out of ten conversations missed their mark. And I have to say, Rhea, that when we were said to my wife just a few minutes ago, I said, you know, I don't remember whether she said she was going to call me or I was going to call her. You know? <laughs> so I, right. you know, many of our, our conversations do miss the mark. Because other research says that we, we uh, flip out of uh, listening about every 12 to 18 seconds. We, we think about what we're going to be eating, what we're going to be doing later today, uh, what we need to do, what we want to do instead of being in this conversation. Um, so it's, a lot of things happen in a short amount of uh, time. I think for many of us, our conversations aren't easy, especially those that are because they're difficult. I mean, I, I I like to give people formulas, usually about three steps that they can use. Um, I learned this year, years ago as a therapist, when you do this, whatever this is, I feel this or think this, whatever it is, and I prefer you do this. So that it gives a framework where we can talk about some difficult subjects that we might not want to bring up. We might want to avoid it. Right. So do you think this is also, I mean, from what I'm hearing, because I'm taking note as, as you, you, um, um, you say in these things, and I, I'm, I can't wait to hear what those three steps formula. But let's rewind before you, you actually share that formula with us. So what makes a conversation an intelligent conversation? I mean, I know there's a lot of things behind what we say, right? So the lack of confidence to speak. You know, some people, they just don't know how to express, you know, what they want to say, whether it's in, in, in their personal life, in their relationship, or whether it's in a professional life, you know. Uh, but obviously, when you get higher in your position in, in any business or a company or in your own company or you're an executive of your own company or managing people, whatever it is, it's a really, really important factor, you know, to learn to understand how to communicate with others so you can get the result that you really wish to do. So, 
what what makes it so? I mean, what do you what do you think is the lack here? Like, what makes an inte- the conversation intelligent versus inintelligent or unintelligent? What's the word? Unintelligent or in? What's what's well, the right grammar? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, in conversational intelligence, we talk about five conversational blind spots, and uh, one the first one is that we assume that everybody thinks like us. Oh, you know, it's sort of like when people buy a Christmas present. It's not really buying it for themselves or for the person they're giving it to. It's sort of buying it for themselves and what they might like. So we have a uh, we have an addiction somewhat to being right. And uh, oh yeah, we so we assume that we're right and that the other people are agreeing with with us. And most times, quite often, they aren't. Another one is uh, the feeling that. Uh, we can change our reality and sometimes we can't because when we get into a conversation, our amygdalas are on high alert. Is the person trustworthy or a threat? Um, and it goes into action neurochemically, but we try to uh, figure out whether how much we're going to say by how much we want to trust this person with what we're going to say to them. So and you think it's a trust have, issue? Oh, it's a big trust issue. In fact, I think okay. that's a, one of the biggest um, things that gets in our way of uh, communicating, and that includes um, companies. I was just working with a company not too long ago, and they said, we don't know what's going on. Could you come in and just shadow us for a while and talk to some people? And so I did. I, I uh, met with this company and some key people and talked about and trust-like themes kept coming up. And not only did they have silos between the departments that when they ate, they ate at separate times, and then they had long tables, so they weren't able to communicate or have a conversation except for one end of the table or the other. Um, So we made some changes, uh, and and we talked about what would trust look like. Um, We had everybody together, and everybody put out their map of the world, your NLP term, and we were able to come to a consensus through a long process, took several days, of getting at how can this company move to a more trusting um, interaction with each other and, and trusting the conversations they have. So it's kind of it was kind of fun. Wow. I think empathy empathy is another thing, and and that's a empathy, right? That's a tough one. Um, you know the the ability to stand in someone's shoes and someone else's shoes, and um, I I personally think that paraphrasing is one form of empathy. By I don't know you really heard me unless I hear you say in your own words what you heard me say, and the paraphrasing gets at that. Um, I teach that a lot at the hospital where I work uh, to managers and the perioperative uh, department. So it's it's helpful to learn how to paraphrase um, in order to start the process of empathy. So does that when when emotional intelligence comes in, where do you end it? Because a lot of time, you know, like you really think it in your mind, you're really saying the right thing, you have the empathy in mind, you have, you know, you know what I mean? Like you're really thinking of the other person in mind, but how the other party uh, uh, you know, receive the, the 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 information that you given them, or the the conversation that you're sharing with them. They 
is that like, you know, there's like a fine line between that, right? Because, I mean, most people, you know, I mean, like if you are direct and you're saying exactly how it is, you would expect people to really understand what you meant by it. But what you said in the beginning early on, you said everybody thinks like we, like, you know, they think like, uh, like us, right? Like you think the same, but that's not true because that's what makes no. us different. Okay. So is that where emotional intelligence comes in? It's a, Emotional intelligence uh, is is fantastic. I I love to teach it and help people understand it. Emotional intelligence has uh, depends on who you you talk to, but it and which whether you're following Daniel Goleman or the um, EQI emotional intelligence inventory, but basically it's self awareness and it's self management, and it's how how we understand our own emotions. And then others, how we, right? yeah, how, how we express them. And then can we use that information to cope with the challenges in our lives? And, and then can we develop, hopefully, some meaningful, strong relationships out of that? Um, I, when I give the emotional intelligence inventory, I like to look at empathy. It's one of the first places I look, emotional expression and emotional self-awareness. And then, and then after that, I fall into impulse control, which seems to be um, at least the people that, that I work with and who are my clients. We, we look at that rather heavily, and that is how, how much impulse control do I have? And that's that emotional intelligence filter. You know, does it need to be said? Does it need to be said by me? And does it need to be said by me now? Lack of impulse would indicate that this person is going to say it. And I just met with a person this morning who said, well, you know, it's just me. I just say what's on my mind. But they aren't taking into into their thinking that maybe someone wasn't doesn't want to hear what's on their mind. Exactly. And they destroy that relationships is, because of that. Right, and then that's really that's like I said, that's such a fine line because a lot of time, you know, because I mean, I I know for myself, you know, with English being my second language or even like my third language. I know, like, you know, sometimes, like, I, like, I can, I know exactly what I'm saying. I'm very direct kind of person. I don't try to, you know, especially like I have corporate sales, 20 years of corporate sales and training. I used to train my teams and stuff. Like, I know exactly how to probe for, for questions. I know what to ask. I know what to say, you know, but sometimes when you're dealing on a different level, and that's why, you know, I mean, we, we here not only to explain it on a professional level, I also like to, you know, apply it to our daily life because I think in the end of the day, even the executive, the CEO, you know, is still a human being, you know, they, they start with their relations that comes around their environment, the closer environment to them, whether it's the relationship at home with the people that they have around them, that they can, they can also take that, that emotions into their workplace. And then that affects, you know, their, their conversation with people affect how they get things done. And because they cannot separate the two or they don't know how to manage this one versus, you know, and, 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 uh, um, I mean, do you think it's like there's a time and place for everything or we really need to equally, in all our relationship, whether it's personal or professional, understand, you know, how to, I mean, it's, it's not an easy thing. I just want to put it out there because most people are going to say, it's like, oh, my God, Rhea, you think it's just at the drop of the hat. I'm going to, like, you know, be the master of every conversation I have. I, trust me, I, I continue to work on this myself because every time I feel like I didn't get the results, 
that I want from the conversation I had, I feel I have more work to do. So, but, but what are your thoughts about that? You, you, you know, as far as like, you know, in our personal relationship, personal life, and then taking that to our professional life. What do you see? Because you work in the professional field. You teach managers and stuff, and especially for hospitals. What, do you, what are your thoughts about that? Do you feel that's carried over from their personal? Well, uh, I work at a place where uh, the staff are told sooner or later that when you walk through the door, you leave your personal stuff at home or outside the door or whatever. Right. And yet, and yet managers have to every day say to someone, you know, you're unproductive today. Why don't you just go home and deal with it, whatever you have to deal with, take the day off, because they just aren't doing the work that they need to do. So I, I think it's hard to uh, turn on and off emotions. In fact, I don't, I don't think we can. I think we can, at least if I'm aware of um, I'm upset, maybe uh, I know I have taught – more than one person, if you just say why you're upset, if you can just express what's going on, it helps to tame the emotion a little bit. That's why we have friends and we, we dump on it and we feel a little bit better just getting it off, off our shoulders. And that's why we, we employ a therapist or a coach or somebody to help us see what, what's the bigger picture, what else might be going on that I'm missing, uh, what would be helpful um, for me to know about myself. What I teach is, um, okay, let's say I don't leave my emotions at the door and someone just because of the way they look or the way they said something, they remind me of somebody else that I'm upset at or have been in the past, that becomes a trigger. And I can have an amygdala hijack. I can go off. I can um, do something stupid or say something stupid. And ultimately, could cause me to get fired. So we have to be aware of our emotions. And then beyond that, what are the triggers that set those emotions off? Because they happen within a milliseconds of time, and we can't. It's right. like you know, somebody said, "Oh, I didn't, I didn't mean to say that," but it just came out so quick they couldn't uh, detract it. And what do you think drives that? Like, what, what, you, what, what do you think drives uh, our impulse, like, you know, like for us to say something, like, you know, you want to you get it out before someone else is, you know, <laughs> prevents you from yeah. getting it out. What, what do you think drives that? Well, I, I think it, it, it rests in the limbic system of the brain and the amygdala because it gets, I mean, there's fMRIs that clearly indicate how fast the amygdala acts uh, and triggers our emotions to, to take off on us without us realizing. It's, it ha- I see it every week in, in sports or with a, uh, with a politician. Uh, right now we're in the midst of the NCAA tournament, and I was watching a game the other night, and one of the young men who happens to be his friend, as I understand it, but he walking off the court, they're having this intense argument, and he starts to strangle him, puts his hands around his oh, neck. God. He later apologized, and I can almost predict the apologies. In fact, I collect them that are, you know, main line on TV and in the papers. Uh, the, the apology goes something like, I don't know what came over me. It's not me. I apologize to my fans, to my team, and to my family. Uh, it'll, it'll never happen again or something like that. Well, that's a 
probably the legal department or somebody actually wrote that oftentimes, but it's, it's really uh, not having uh, anger management uh, under control, uh, not realizing what the triggers are. Um, I also teach uh, deep breathing as a way of mm-hmm. handling uh, anger management. Uh, if you Google um, or go on YouTube to Dr. Weil, and type in 478 breathing. He has some great instructional uh, YouTube sets where he he teaches 478 breathing, where you breathe in through your uh, nose to the count of four, hold that breath to the count of seven, and then breathe out through your mouth to the count of eight. He says do about four of those to start out with, and you might feel a little bit high because you can do that initially, and then build up to eight, but do no more than eight at one time. He says do this when you when you are um, someone cuts you off in traffic, uh, when you can't sleep. Um, I've been doing this for years after listening to him, and I used to have AFib, and I don't have AFib anymore. Um, so it covers a lot of. Uh, I don't know why or how it works, but I know it works to help calm people down. It takes some deep breaths. Well, you know, the the, the breathing is something like, you know, most of us, uh, we're really not conscious of, you know, that it just happened involuntarily, right? So we're really not thinking about it. But I also agree with you because I practice, you know, the breathing method myself. But I would really love to check the, the, check the 478, you said, right? 478 breathing? 478, right. Okay, so I'm going to check it out. Four, hold it count of seven. Yeah, 478 Dr. Yeah. Weil on YouTube. Okay. Yeah, I actually, I, I think I've heard of it. Um, but, you know, I'm, throughout my, my uh, career and learning, you know, different way of improving, you know, how I, you know, because like, I mean, especially when you're in sales or even if you're managing a team or you're starting a business or in your own life with your family or kids or whatever, this stress you know, life does happen every second. And I think the more we find those gaps in between the minutes just to, uh, uh, you know, kind of like, you know, find silence a little bit and then just kind of focus on our breath. Yeah. I feel it really does help a lot. And, and let me tell you, being on the go all the time, it was really stressful, you know, especially when you have, you know, like you have to manage teams, you have to manage quota, you have to, you know, increase sales, you have to do, you know, things like that. But, I can see that also happening in a in an average home where people have so much that they take on and they just like you know so overwhelmed. I think that practice it really really does help um, to kind of soothe your you know I mean it's just kind of connecting with yourself because the truth right. is mind and body it's an absolutely a great combination that we really need to focus on. Um, so what I wanted to ask you I mean I think why don't we take a short break give you a little break to get a Okay. A sip of water if you want or something. And uh, we're going to continue because this is a great conversation. I really do appreciate you being here. So we will be right back. Okay. Okay, thanks. Your Life Now radio show with Coach Rhea <laughs> will return in just a few moments.
Welcome back, my friends. You are listening to Your Life Now show. I am your host and executive producer, Ria Wilkie, also known as Coach Ria. Thank you so much for joining us. We have an amazing guest here, and we're having a great conversation about our conversation intelligence, emotional intelligence. And uh, before the break, uh, Dr. Don Booth, the founder of Booth & Associates, Inc., is an executive and uh, executive and organizational development firm, and he is educated as a marriage and family therapist, executive coach, conversational intelligence coach, and a master practitioner in neurolinguistic programming. And he is also known as conversational anthropologist. So welcome, welcome back. Thank you so much for being here, Don. Really appreciate you, Doctor Booth. Sure. So before the break, be you mentioned. Oh, <laughs> love having you and I'm so like honestly I think it's such a great thing that we meet people like you know I I mean I am so grateful that I've had the opportunity to meet you and now here we are talking and and, and thanks to Dr. Shad Homestead and and all everybody who you know was, was there um in Florida was it last year was it last year right January um uh, it, it was an amazing <laughs> what's that I said, it might have been two years ago. Time goes by. I don't know. I know. Well, yeah. Wow, my God. So anyhow, I am so happy to have you here. And uh, we're talking about something that is, is nearly just an amazing, fascinating subject that most of us don't really think about. Um, it, but it can really turn things around. You can change the result of, of a lot of things if you are a little bit more conscious of the conversation that you have of understanding, you know, how human, you know, how we think and, and, and realize that we all are individual. We are not the same. So if you think people think like you, even though we share a lot of, you know, <laughs> similarity, we are really different. We are different in personality. We are different how we, we, we were raised or, you know, how we, we were educated, whatever it is your background. So understand that people are just who they are. And I think the more we understand that, we realize that we can communicate better. So you are known as conversational anthropologist. This is people who knows about human more than I do. So can you explain what that means to most of our listeners, please? Or to our listeners <laughs> who don't know? Sure, I can. I can. Um, like I said, nine out of ten conversations, uh, Mr. Mark. And sometimes... Uh, People come into my office and they're upset or they're angry and they might not know why. But when we deconstruct the conversation uh, that happens between usually two people, it's it's pretty evident what what has happened and it, and it could be several things. But one of the most frequent thing uh, that I find working with my clients is that they've been talked to like a child. It's that um, right transactional analysis of years ago with uh, Eric Byrne, I think you wrote uh, I'm Okay, You're Okay book, which actually yes. started me on the psychology. Um, but when they become aware, yeah, I, I, I was talked to like a child, and I responded like a child. I, you know, lashed out, had a little temper tantrum. Uh, they were written up or whatever. So there's different things that I do to help my clients deconstruct conversations so that they can they can better understand. And in conversational intelligence, which is a nice tool to have uh, as a framework, is that we, we basically speak at three different levels. The first 
level is um, it's, it's called transactional, and that's where you're telling me what's on your mind, and I'm telling you what's on my mind. Uh, to oh. passing of information. So I'm, I might be trying to influence you, but I'm influencing you through uh, the information I'm sharing. And then level two is called the positional, and that's where it gets a little bit more intense, where uh, I'm almost uh, influencing you by uh, my position or my power. You know, the mm. person says, do as I say. Um, that's where that comes from. Um, and then the the third position, which is transformational, which is we're, we're co-creating things together. We're asking questions to connect with each other. We're we're sharing energy with what we're excited about or what we're trying to do. Uh, I'm asking for your opinion because I value it. We have a dialogue about it. instead of saying, "Well, that won't work" or or whatever. We might ask. You know, what would happen if we did this or what would happen if we didn't do this so that we can get out of the amygdala, which is where that, a lot of emotion happens and triggering, and into the prefrontal cortex where we can think about things together. That's some of what I do with my clients. How, how are you being influenced both positively and negatively through conversations you're having in that show? So where does the listening part play a key factor here? Well, uh, one of the oh, does it? Of, oh, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, one of the exercises I, I give groups is to um, get in small groups, depending upon the size of the of the meeting. Um, ask questions of each other uh, about things that you have in common, in order to find out what those things are that you have in common. Um, and it's a way of teaching uh, how to ask questions that are open-ended questions that you don't have the answer to. Right. right. Uh, and that you're trying to connect with the person. If I'm really intent on trying to connect with you, it's a total different conversation than when I'm trying to convince you of, uh, that I'm right or that you're wrong or that I disagree with you or whatever. You know, we... So, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, we know now a lot of things happen that are not just words that are exchanges. Lots of neurochemical things going on in our brains, and, and we make decisions in a matter of seconds of whether we're going to like someone or not like them. We come to conclusions. I have a – I like to show a slide that's uh, – and this dates me of a – remember those old corduroy cameras that everybody had for a period of time? you it's a horrible picture, yeah. but you had immediately you had a picture, and they would shoot it out. And I, I have a slide that shows a, several of those portaroid pictures on a on a clothesline. And the point I'm trying to make is that people are taking snapshots of us all the time, and after a while they frame us. And once you're framed, it's hard to get out of that because that's where you get boxed in. This is who he is or who she is. And so mm-hmm. once you're framed, they might not listen to you because they have you in this little box. Um, so you can't, you can't maneuver around because they've already shut you off or they're, they're a walk away. Um, they might not trust you for anything because they have you already put in this box that they're not going to trust you. 
That's so true. That is so true. Absolutely. No, I mean, I I see it all the time. Absolutely. That's so true. Uh, So I wanted to ask you about the the common, you know, um, thing that we we all have, right? Like now, I mean, we live in in um, in an age of technology, right? Where I feel most people, they really lack communication because they are not really truly communicating. Um, You know, where, you know, of course, when you are in business or you are dealing with people on a daily basis, you know, that's going to hurt you in the end of the day because you're lacking the skills of communication because you're depending so much on the technology to do everything for you. You know, I can right. be in a snapshot, like you say, snapshot chat, and this, you got Instagram, you got Facebook, you got all these social media that you can just like, you know, say something and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, that's exactly what you said. That's who you are. And that's the only way that people know you, but they really don't want to like, talk to you anymore like I find it to be really ironic because I refuse to be I I I mean this is my my part and I'm not here to 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 talk people out of you know anything but for me you know technology is just tools it's tools to help us navigate through the technology age right but in the same time we have to keep I call back go back to the basics you know, like what makes a good relationship a relationship, whether it's personal relationship or professional relationship. It's the actual communication part, the actual, whether it's physical communication, in-face communication. You can, I mean, I remember days like when I started in sales and my first job in sales was I was recruited out of a college to work for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And I was selling membership, you know, to businesses. And I remember, like, you know, for me, I was, like, you know, still my accent was really very, very strong. And uh, um, but I, I remember this to this day that I used to remember telling, you know, my manager at that time. I said, please just put me in front of the, the person and I can guarantee you I can get the get them to say yes to whatever it is I'm selling. And that didn't just work with my first job, but I carried that on, you know, because I feel that kind of type of communication is more effective than us always trying to find an easy way to communicate with people. I can just send you a text. And most of the time now people, they send you a text and it's a letter. I'm like, it's a text messages, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, would you rather yeah. just call me and give me that information? It would probably took less time for you to say yeah, it than right. to type it. What do you what do you talk about that? Because I find it to be lacking our communication. It's really driving our communication backwards. I have a funny story to tell about that. Um, I love funny stories. I, <laughs> Go ahead. I was uh, I was coaching uh, uh, one of the managers at the hospital in his office. They kept looking at his computer screen to the point that it was beginning to annoy me, and so I said. Can I ask uh, what you're looking at on the screen? Because I'm not sure I have your full attention here. His response was, well, I sent this uh, doctor uh, a uh, an email, and I'm not sure he, that he got it. I'm waiting for a reply. So, so what, are you, what are you going to do? He says, well, I'm going to send him another email to ask him if he got my email. That was right. his point. And I, and then later on, I was with another one, uh, manager, and um, just before I got to the office, she got a call, and uh, there were some questions. Apparently, what 
needed to be done. And her response was, well, didn't you get my email? I mean, it's, it's like, <laughs> uh, so what I'm, what I'm trying to teach is, especially if it's uh, something important and anything that's interpersonal, get up out of your chair and go talk to the person face to face. It's exactly. getting to the point that many people don't know how to interact uh, right. with each other. Uh, because they're so much in tune with the social network world that they don't have to be forced to get along and to deal with differences and to have conversation and do whatever they want. Like, and I'm victim of that myself. I, I send texts and tweets. And well, I do else, too. I do too. Yeah, no, I do too. But I just, I, I refuse to allow it. Like, I mean, I know I even used to watch myself. Like most people, you go out to dinner or you are somewhere in a meeting and all of a sudden everybody has right. their phone, right? Everybody has their phone and then they're doing yeah. whatever it is on their phone, whether they're checking in or they're doing, you know, and I've done it. I've done it many times. But then now I really consciously, I, I went out one time with great friends of ours and uh, I, we were taking selfie pictures of the group, right? So like, you know, just take a, a, a group pictures, you know. And uh, um, I told one of my friends, I said, can you go grab your phone? You know, let's take a picture of your phone, too. She said, no. She said, when I'm somewhere with anybody, I leave my phone in the car. I have my phone, yeah. so I know I'm not leaving it behind. So if I need it for emergency, whatever, I have it. But when I'm with people or whatever, like she's, she's such a great leader, too. You know, she works for the university, you know. Um, and, and she's like, when it comes to communication, she's an excellent, like, you know, example. And I think just that one time, she almost like, I got like, like the aha moment. I'm like, oh my God, how ironic is yeah. that? That we all so, right? Like we so consumed. Like, I mean, I felt the other day, like, you know, I mean, well, not the other day, it was a while back. I went to, to the movie and I forgot my phone behind and I felt lost. Like, I like, oh my God, <laughs> I don't have my phone. <laughs> But yeah. it's beautiful yeah, having technology yeah. available to us, but it's also, you know, beautiful if we can know how to use that technology to keep us human and not to become, you know, the technology itself, not to become the tools. I mean, I feel like, you know, because, and, and let me tell you, I don't know if you know that or not, but the future, do you know what the future is now? It's virtual no, reality. VR, oh, yeah, exactly. VR, everything is going to be virtual reality. That means we don't exist anymore as a human. Where are we? We're just floating in the, in, the, in the virtual reality world. You know, I'm talking to you through virtual reality, and, and, and we don't need to be calling you on the phone. I don't need to, you know, so I all I have to do is just get on, put my head on, my headgear on or whatever, and then I can just host a show and I can talk to you through that. But how human is that? I don't know. What do you think? I think I think it's really going to stick us back because, I mean, for me, evolution starts with actually under us understanding what does it mean yeah. to evolve, right? To be able to utilize what you have in front of you to make you evolve forward, not backward, because we know we're all moving. Whether we're moving forward or backward, that really depends on our action, on what we do with what we have. And it's a scary time for me because I feel like, what if, what if, because the what if, I know it's a, it's a what if because I'm the queen of now, you know, my company, your life now, but what if this technology just disappeared one day? 
Would you be able to communicate with anybody? What would you do? What would we? What would your plan B would be? Do you have one? I mean, with all the stuff that is going on, you know, with the hacker and the Russian and the Chinese and all yeah, that stuff, right. how would you know our network is not going to go down? And if it does go down, what would you do? Well, and I don't know about you, but we don't have a landline phone anymore. So if we're in a tornado or something, all land, you know, the towers are down. We can't communicate with anyone. Well, I mean, that's why I feel like, you know, for instance, like I look at countries like, you know, that they still – you know, third world country, I mean, Cuba, you know, to this day, people have limited access to internet. For the longest time, they didn't have access to the rest of the world. You know, they don't know what's going on. They kept in the dark. And, you know, it's like, yeah, they're in the dark ages. But think they are miserable? No, I'm not saying that, you know, technology is bad. But I think we need to really understand what the part of the communication. So I'm, I, you know, I don't want to like, you know, turn it into a gloomy thing with, with, with that part. But I always find it to be interesting that we really, most of us don't think about that. We don't think about the fact that that communication that we have with each other. I mean, like I meet with people, there's that meet and greet I do with people, and I love it. You know, like when I find the time to actually go out there and be with these people, I find like such a relief because I'm like, I'm, you know, Facebook and all of a sudden I had to put my best part out there. I can't say what, you know what I mean? Like, you know, people just judge you by what you say. They judge you by who you are, by how you yeah. look, by how whatever. But when you like face-to-face with people, when you communicate with people directly, you feel it has still more power to it than us just hiding oh. behind, oh. you know. So Maybe we need more stories like your friends. What's that? Maybe we need stories like your friend that that yeah. leaves her cell phone at home when she's out with her most important people. Yeah, Maybe and even when she's at work, she said she doesn't take her phone, you know, when she's at work, you know, she's focused on her work and her people, you know, she reports to doctors and stuff like that, and uh, she she said, no, I, I, you know, hey, I have the latest gadget, but I don't let that gadget control how I communicate with yeah. people. Yeah. And I love that. I thought it was such an amazing thing. So, like, now I really try to be conscious of that when I go out to dinner, when I'm with somebody, I try to put my phone away and not put it out because I'm like, okay, so how many people care, like, I'm here or there? I mean, when I was in Spain, I did it. I'm like, you know, it was fun to kind of, like, report. I'm from here. I'm doing here. How cool is this? <laughs> Whatever. And it's cool. I think it's really cool that we have the ability to share. And the world is becoming so small because of technology, and I love that. But I think it's important for us not to miss, you know, what is really truly the most valuable thing is our true communication. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you, um, because I know I kind of shifted into a different area here. I like you if you don't mind. Well, first, let's talk about your book. Your book is coming out in the fall. It's called The yeah. Emotional Intelligence Primer for Today's Leader. How to be the difference that makes a difference. I love that. I think that's a brilliant title. So tell us about the book. And uh, please. Well, there's lots of good books, uh, and I've read most of them on emotional intelligence. And a lot of them are um, describing what it is and maybe some things that people could do to um, choose have more emotional intelligence and but I found that the books 
were lacking something. And so I decided to write a book that was both instructional and experiential. So, for example, I talk about different areas like triangles and boundaries and multiple messages and empathy and all those kinds of things. So I, I describe what I'm trying to promote or I help, help people understand. And then I talk about, um, in the book at least, how people can try this out, like in the, say, getting in a car, drive it around town and try the brakes and the lights and see how it works. So every, um, every week, if people want to, and you can start any place in the book, Say, for example, someone says, well, I'd like to have more empathy. So they go to that chapter and they look at what I put in there about empathy and how it works and what it might look like. But then at the end of the chapter, I have what I call personal inventory exercises. So every day I suggest that they try one aspect, like focus on you might focus today on clarifying questions when, when people are sharing about their personal or professional life. For example, what did say more about that? Or what did you mean when you said this? Try to listen to connect. Um, I might ask people to pay attention to how they themselves are using feeling words and what kind of responses they got. Observe mm-hmm. their nonverbal behavior with others. And, and what, as, and I talk about micro expressions and those kinds of things. So every day, uh, someone has the ability to increase their emotional intelligence by picking out something that they want to work on. And then at the end of the, it's like a bonus, I call it going into the deep end of the pool. Um, and that's to uh, try something that's a little bit more risky about finding something out about themselves, reflecting on that experience. Uh, trying some new language on, you know, instead of saying, you need to let me know when you're done this, um, like a parent to a child, and that's not a bad example, but you could say something like, when when you're done with this, let me know. We can go over this together and figure out what's the best thing to do. I mean, it's just those kinds of things that I wanted people to just go a little bit deeper into the pool and, and try to better understand themselves. So more it's like engaging, sense. right? So like you engage in yeah. it. So it's not like, you know, you ordering somebody to do something and this is especially for leaders, you know, this really applies yeah. in that sense. You know, well most of them they tell, you know, I mean that's what differentiates between a boss and a leader, right? You know, people a boss can tell you what to do and they're afraid of, you know, only their employees are afraid of them. Where a leader get more engaged in the process and I think that's where it comes, right? Correct. It's like uh, I have lots of people go to conferences and they get all excited, but they don't do anything with it. It's not in their muscle, so to speak. That's so, true. What I'm trying to do is, okay, you're excited about emotional intelligence. Let's let's treat it like a piece of clothing, and we we try it on, see how it fits, and we and not only do we look at ourselves in the mirror, we go out into the real world and, and try some things out, you know, ask ask clarifying questions. What would empathy look like? Have you noticed empathy today from others towards you? And, you know, to really take it around town, toot the horn, and drive it around, see if the brakes work okay, and see if you want to buy into this further. That's the, sort of the backbone of that. 
That's awesome. And and you know, tell us what about your work. I know you you work a lot with the with the hospitals. If you like to share some of the some of the things that you do and why you like it so much because you told me you like it so much. <laughs> and, and what are we anticipating about the second upcoming book? I I can't find a way. I can't wait to to read your book. I, I think it's going to be great. Um, well, you know, you wrote it, but I don't know. <laughs> so tell us, please well, share that. With you. I I work at the University of Kansas Health System. We just changed our name, and um, I teach the perioperative uh, division, the managers, um, emotional intelligence, and some directors. And I teach uh, conversational intelligence. And then I do coaching uh, one-to-one. So every every month, uh, the managers are, are sitting down to a didactic session, about two hours, and then we do about an hour, an hour and a half of coaching sometime else you know, in the month. And I'm teaching at uh, two different sites, um, and that has that was sort of the the impetus to get me to write this book because people wanted to have again what I was teaching. They wanted to have more information. How can we instead of them taking copious notes or just videotaping me, they wanted to have a book in front of them. So I started to think more about that. I also have some other uh, CEOs uh, in in the area that I coach, and then I coach people. Uh, really virtually around the United States through Zoom, and sometimes I make a personal uh, visit. I work with corporations that are stuck and feel like they can't communicate anymore or they're silos and, or they want to become better at, at what they're doing and how people can really be motivated to come to work. Um, and I throw in different things. I mean, I, I dabble around in time management, what's the best way to do that. I teach how to run meetings. Uh, to, to some of my clients, that seems to be a skill set that's not handed down unless you observe someone running a good meeting and there are lots of examples of not having that happen. So it's just a variety of things. But I, I, when I wake up in the morning, I'm looking forward to either working on keynote presentations uh, or, or traveling to meet with a client or to go to the hospital and meet with the people who I think are really making the difference. They are making the difference. Yeah, I feel good about what I do. I always feel like, you know, I was born to do this. And, you know, I honestly, I, I, well, it's not like, you know, I, I, I try to learn every single day to be better at what I do so I can be better to my clients as well. Um, because it is is really rewarding. Because to me, not only that I'm, I'm, I'm helping someone else, I feel like I'm learning. I'm you know, growing myself too, you know, in the process because you understand a little bit more how people are different and how they think different and how they they operate and everything. So neurolinguistic programming, I think uh, it's 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 part of a lot of the things that we talked about. But would you like to talk a little bit more about that? I know I extended the time a little bit because we started a little bit late, if you don't mind. Yeah. And then we're going to go to the three-step formula, and then we'll share your information with our listener. So why don't we talk about a little bit about NLP? Well, uh, I use NLP to um, depends on what the person wants to work on, but basically I use NLP to talk from a very personal uh, and visual sense of how to uh, be more empathetic. Mm. So empathy, as, as you know, is hard to, if you don't have empathy, it's sometimes hard to 
characters. It wasn't, it wasn't modeled for you growing up years. It's sometimes hard to pick up. So NLP has this um, little pattern that they look at. It's called the um, perceptual positions. So I literally have people stand up with me, and they and I use live examples. So it might be someone who's a little bit upset at somebody else, a staff member or whatever. So they stand in one spot, and that's them, and they share why they're upset and what's going on. Then I have them stand literally face themselves, although they're not there anymore, stand in the place of the person they're upset about and what they might be thinking and feeling uh, about them. Then I go to the third position, which is outside of those two positions. It's hard to describe verbally here, I think, but you're actually standing at another place looking at the two people, yourself and the person you're upset at. And I have them to talk about what they're seeing between the two and try to describe what's going on. And then I have them go to the fourth position, uh, which is what the rest of the staff workers or whoever's in their immediate system, what they might be seeing going on between the two workers. And then I've added another one on my own uh, with the blessing of Robert Diltz, who taught me NLP, is to bring in, to stand at another place, and who is the person that's wisest in your life, say a grandma, grandpa, an uncle, or best friend, or somebody that you really, really trust and they're very wise? What do you think they would be saying to you about this situation? And nice. it's been very, uh, very instructive, uh, almost wow. relief. Uh, tears happen often, uh, and it brings up some other things that are really mm-hmm. getting in the way. Uh, it's just a... NLP has some great stuff like that that can help people. I love NLP. <laughs> so yeah. who, who do you think can, can can really, I mean, obviously, I think everybody, but who do you think pe- most people can benefit from, who, who could benefit from practicing more, understanding more NLP, and, and, and really digging more into the, the, the meaning or practice, the practice of NLP? Pretty much everybody? <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, when I was being, yeah, when I was being trained to be a therapist in Chicago, I was introduced to NLP, uh, and that was when it was first coming on as as a possible way of understanding. Uh, Virginia Satir was part of that group, and Robert Diltz and Bateson and Eric, right. Erickson and a few others. Um, so I actually kept those books, and then um, when when I was living in California, uh, a friend of mine said, hey, Don, you, you dabbled in this stuff. Why don't you take a class with me? So I went up to Santa Clara, and, um, and I was amazed at the people who were there, and they were from all over the world. So we had people who were hotel managers who better wanted to understand how to themselves but how to get along with others, uh, people from China and Ireland and Europe, all over the place, and South America. Many of them were therapists or or people who were coaches. And they wanted to have more skills that they could help people in whatever they came to them for help for. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're not going to, you can do it to be, you know, personal edification, but it really, it really gives you some magnificent tools if you want to help people uh, right. get healthier. 
I think it's it's an it's really an amazing practice. And and is there a, a book that you recommend? I know I've been approached many times where people ask me to recommend a good NLP book. There's so many of them, of course, go to the source. I say, right? The, what yeah. would you? Is there a book that you recommend about NLP that people can? If I were, if a person knew nothing about NLP or just a little bit, I would direct them. I'm looking up in my bookshelf called NLP at Work. NLP, I'm sorry, you were fading away. NLP at work. Okay. And it's in the third okay. edition, and it's by Sue Knight, K-I-K-N-I-G-H-T. Uh, it's, a, it's a great book. If you saw my book, you would think, good night, this guy. The pages about ready to be uh, ripped off because they're not. I use it so much because it's so, so well written and user friendly, and I and I use it a good bit. I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna definitely get it. And then I, again, I just wanted to let our listeners, um, if you like a transcript of this uh, today's show, because Dr. Booth had shared with us a lot of great information, and I I did take some notes, and I will do a little a blog post, you know, um, to just highlight the, the the key things that we mentioned here. But if you like a transcript, you can always reach us at yourlifenow.info and request the transcript, and I'll be more than happy to get you one um, with all the information that was shared in here. And, of course, you also welcome to let us know how we could be of service to you. Um, one more thing, uh, Don. You had mentioned the three-step formula. Would you like to share the... Is that one uh, that formula was uh, when you do whatever it is you want that you're up upset at, I feel or think whatever you're thinking or feeling, and I prefer it, or I need you to, and then you state what your desired outcome is. I would I would mm-hmm. I would appreciate you not using. Uh, profanity in front of me. I, mean, I just had that example last week uh, with a person with somebody else, but they went home and used this formula. And it, it was for, she was a very, um, it's hard for her to be confrontational, but given this formula, she was able to say it with love and care, which is a very loving, caring person. But she was also to put out her preferences in a way that she couldn't before. It works for some people. It works for some people. Well, what about sometimes, yeah. like somebody said, like I, I hear, I hear this, and it really it bothers me because it feels like you know you having a conversation with someone, and then you, uh, this is at a personal level. <laughs> I'm not gonna say professionally because professionally I, I deal with it differently. But at a personal level, when someone like you, you, you discussing something, and it's it's something you know a, a, a conversational meaning like two people, right? You need at least two people to be in a conversation, not one person. And then you feel you're the only one who's who's speaking, who's talking, right? Or you feel like the other person is not really hearing you, or they're not responding to what you say, and you just say, you know what I mean? You know, did you hear what I said, or something like that? And of course, you know, sometimes people might get it, you know, take it, take what the way you say it, maybe in the wrong way. But then they turn around, and I heard that phrase, and I just don't like that phrase. Do what now? Like this? 
Like, do what now? I, like, I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm having a conversation with you. So, like, the choices of the words, you know, like, I think yeah. it, do people just not, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying I'm perfect because I, like, I pay attention to a lot of the words. But would that bother you if someone say that to you? Like, you have a conversation and say, do what now, Don? You know? Does that make it well, like uh... a... <laughs> it depends on a couple things. It depends on my relationship with them. It depends on their body language, nonverbal, um, and the tone of which they use. We we know it's like 97% or 93% of what we react to is are not the words. It's the tone. Right. It's the body language. Right. Um, eye right. contact or whatever, or lack of eye contact. So yeah, I think it would it would probably bother me because the way you first uh, said it, yeah, that sounds like uh, a confrontational thing. But I, I would use the other filter. You know, do I need to respond? Do I do I need to give a response? Do, the, do I need to give it right. now? Um, right. Sort of walk away from things. Things can very very so, great. No, that's very helpful because that's definitely something I wanted to ask you about because, you know, it, like you said, but, I mean, a lot of time the, the other side will feel like, you know, they were not being listened to or paying attention to or they, they, they you know, when somebody tones you out, you know, like, you know, you, you're talking, yeah. but they really not paying attention to what you're saying and you're trying to get their attention and then you got that kind of response. You, it's almost like a validate what you thought, which is the person is really not listening to what you're saying. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, but, well, it's uh, yeah. Oh, what is awesome. I get to talk to you forever. I know the time is going, and I, I promised you an hour, and we are a little bit over the hour. And okay. uh, so now, if you if you be kind enough to share with our listeners how they can get a hold of you, and if they want to learn more, and then, of course, you know, they get up to date. I mean, they can always go to our website. We'll give them, we'll be more than happy to give them information on your book. But give us your contact or how can people, you know, whether yeah. it's an organization or someone, please. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think I prefer my email, which is very simple. It's donboos at me.com, me.com. Great. And that's the best way to get a hold of you. And, of course, your book yeah. is, is scheduled to be in the fall? Yes, yeah, what we're planning, yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> I'm looking okay. forward to it. And I will have you back on the show so we can talk about it, and then I'll be more than happy to try to also, you know, promote the book for you and get you, okay. you know, get you all over the places here and get you other interviews. I would be more than happy to do that as well. And Don, okay. thank you, Dr. Booth, for being my guest. Thank you. Really. What an honor pleasure having you, and I look forward to our next time we speak. Thank you so much. Thank you. Until next time, stay brilliant, my friend. Take care. Okay, well, my friends, I conclude our show for today, and our guest was humble and kind enough to share a lot of great tips. That's what I love about what I do, and uh, that's what inspires me to keep doing what I'm doing because I just love to share good stuff with people. I love to share information that's going to help you be the better version of you, for you, not for anybody else, because remember, it's your life, so why don't you live it your way? And, uh, you know, remember, if we could be a service to you or to your organization or you'd like to learn more about what, how we could be a service to you, we love to hear from you. 
So make sure you hop in to our website and send us a, a request there at yourlifenow.info. Again, that's yourlifenow.info. Just one more thing. It takes collaborations, mutual agreements, and action to make the impossible possible. So go out there and celebrate who you are and join hands and make the impossible possible. Until next time, my friends, make sure you position yourself and your business always for success. Be present. Look for insight. Take action. Take small steps. Evaluate what you are doing. And remember where you are so you know where you are heading. Stay amazing. Much love to all. Yeah.